It's good to be back uh, with you saints here in Corvallis uh, at Westminster OPC. It was good to be here this morning, good to be back tonight. We had a wonderful afternoon uh, with the Olivers and lunch and a nap and everything. That's uh, good. And uh, so I want to tell you a story uh, that I think fits the occasion. Uh, I think I mentioned when I was here the first time a few months ago that uh, if there's an 800-pound gorilla in the room, you ought to just call out the gorilla. So there was a young minister. It's his first church, and, and he showed up early in his pastorate, and, and the attendance was low very low, and he was crestfallen. He was just crestfallen. There weren't many people uh, there, and, and one, it was an older elder, wise elder, uh, could tell that the young minister was kind of down because the attendance was down, and he walked up to him. He, the, the, the elder was a cattleman, and he said, son, if I go out to feed the cows and only a few show up, son, I feed them. Well, a young man just was elated, you know, and really pumped because, you know, the man was basically saying, you got to feed us. And he got pumped up and he preached for a solid hour. And he saw the elder at the door on the way out and he had this expectant look on his face and the old elder said, son, if I go out to feed the cows and only a few there, I don't give them the whole load, you know? <laughs> so I'm not going to give you the whole load tonight, all right? So... Anyway, um, I, you know, I think I should have my head examined. You know, uh, Dr. Ball is working on a, a commentary on Hebrews, and I realized both of my sermons have to do with Hebrews today. I need my, my, I need my head examined, you know what I mean? But anyway, I want to direct your attention to Hebrews chapter 12 and 13. And while you're turning, I want to remind you that we believe the Bible is the Word of God written, the only infallible rule of faith and practice, that it's not our reflections about God, but God's revelation to us about Himself and who we are and our need for and the way of salvation. And I want to read just a few verses from uh, beginning in chapter 12, verse 28, and then read consecutively through chapter 13, verse 6, a little message entitled, Remember the Prisoners. Before I read that, I want to tell you that in some places today, this first Sunday in November, is remembered every year as the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, IDOP, IDOP, some people call it, and is sponsored by the Voice of the Martyrs, which is a ministry to uh, people that are being persecuted and their families. And so it's the first Sunday in November every year uh, to help uh, remember and to have a ministry that helps people that are persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to remember them tonight, uh, because in verse 3 it's going to say, uh, what, remember the prisoner, remember those who are in prison. Um, remembrance is an important concept for us, right? We're told to remember birthdays and anniversaries and things like that. If you've got any Canadian background or British Commonwealth background, uh, you'll know that... Uh, in, in, on November the 11th, uh, every year, which is this coming Saturday this year, uh, there's Remembrance Day in Canada and throughout the British Commonwealth. And on Remembrance Day in the British Commonwealth, they remember their, their war dead and, and those who paid the ultimate price uh, for their freedom. And it's on the 11th because some of you will remember perhaps that the the armistice that ended uh, the First World War uh, began on the 11th day of the 11th month, 
at 11 a.m. in the morning. You, you knew that. I can tell by you nodding your head. And so they remember uh, their, their, their uh, veterans and their war dead during those times. Some of them wear poppies. If you're ever in, in uh, Canada or England, something during that time, some of them will wear uh, poppies. And, and in the church, we, you know, this morning, we remembered the Lord's death uh, in the Lord's Supper. And so today, we want, tonight, we want to remember the prisoners. Lord, help us to understand you and your ways with your people and how we're supposed to live with your, as your people. Um, help us in this text tonight to know how we're to conduct ourselves as the redeemed of the Lord and use a wretchedly sinful crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 12 at verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Amen. The grass withers and the flowers will fade away, but God's Word won't fade. It's God's Word. It abides forever and forever. The people to whom this letter was addressed were people that knew persecution firsthand. If you look back in Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 32, uh, there is that remarkable story about the former days and the life of these people. Uh, 10.32, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you, were, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes, you being, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your, of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And throughout the book of uh, Hebrews, there are these warnings and remembrances about their former days. After their conversion, they had suffered. And sometimes they were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes it says in verse 33, uh, sometimes they partnered with those so treated. So there were people that were being persecuted for the faith that these readers had partnered with, had, had drawn alongside of in order to comfort and to help. Uh, they had had compassion on those in prison and had joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Couldn't have been Americans, could they? I mean, if somebody plundered our property, could we, could we joyfully do that? And I think it's not that, it's not that they were not interested in possessions, but it as it says, they had better and lasting possessions um, in, in heaven. But now, that's, that's their past. 
Uh, now, if you read the whole book, um, there's a new wave of persecution coming upon them, and they're wavering in their commitment. They're struggling to maintain their commitment uh, at the same level of commitment they had before, and frankly, they are in danger of falling away. Uh, it says that in chapter 6 and again in chapter 10. And so the book of Hebrews was written to encourage them not to waver, uh, but to continue their confidence firm uh, to the end, because as Jesus said, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. So it's an encouragement to them and I hope to us as well. Now, a brief overview of the passage would give you this. It's 13, 1. Let brotherly love continue. That's the dominant thought in the first six verses, I think. Let brotherly love continue. And then it fleshes out what that would look like in their church community. Um, now, I want to say that I think some of the things that the writer says here in the first six verses are applicable sometimes to those outside the church community, but I think he's writing primarily about those within the church community. I don't think, for instance, in verse 3 when he says, remember those who are in prison, he's talking first and foremost about non-believers that are in prison, although I think we do have responsibility in that regard. I think he's talking about believers who've been put into prison uh, for their faith. I think that is, that is the, the better way to see it, even though, as I say, there are things uh, here that apply to those who are outside as well. And so verses 2 and following put meat on the bones of, of the let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Is that talking about uh, Christian strangers? I think it's probably best understood as talking about um, itinerant Christian ministries, uh, that ministers and, and people that wandered around, they should help them. Uh, John in his uh, second and third letters uh, talks about that. And then in verse 3, remember the prisoners, those who are in prison uh, for their faith, who are mistreated uh, for their faith. And so... Uh, let's just dig a little deeper then in verse 3. Remember those who are in prison. Remember the prisoners. Who are they? Well, as I said, I think they are those persecuted for the faith. They're not necessarily all prisoners, although we should try if we can to help them. What does it mean to remember them? Well, obviously it means don't forget about them. And I think we're prone to forget about people that are in difficulty, right? We have a tendency to forget about those who are in trouble because we can't handle it very well. Yeah, we, we go into the television and they talk about this crisis and that crisis and this catastrophe and that catastrophe. And it's kind of like, I can't process it. I mean, some of it's very, some of it's sometimes near and some of it's very far away. But in one of the ways that some of us handle that is we just put it out of our minds. We have a tendency to forget those in trouble. Um, I used to do a lot of hospital ministry as a result of being a pastor. I'd go into the hospitals and ICU waiting rooms and, and the ICUs themselves and everything. And, and I used to think, you know, you go into an ICU waiting room and just sit around and listen for a while. And you think, well, you know, my problems are not so bad, probably. I mean, they, you hear some stuff in an ICU waiting room and what's going on with people. And, and it, it just, it's just unbelievable. And, and you kind of walk, walk out of those places and think, well, I'm glad it's not me. And, and you tend to put it out of your mind because it's hard to handle. So he's saying, look, we, 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 tend, we tend 
to forget. And he said, don't forget. Don't forget. Um, I think lack of love is a primary problem in not remembering the prisoners. What do you think? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. More positively, though, uh, remembering the prisoners is not just not forgetting about them, but it, it's to remember them in an active helpful way. Let me explain what I mean. If you look at God's remembrance in the Bible, there, there are many times when the psalmist will say, remember me, O Lord. Right? Uh, and Jeremiah said, O Lord, remember me and visit me. Jeremiah 15, 15. Lord, remember me and visit me. In, in Genesis 8, verse 1, it says, God remembered Noah and made a wind blow over the earth. So God's remembrance of Noah was not just thinking about Noah, but it was to do something. He made a wind blow over the earth, the, the waters dried up, and he remembered his covenant with Noah. Numbers chapter 10, verse 9, to be remembered before the Lord is to be saved from your enemies. And so remembrance in the Bible is not just to think about and not merely to call to mind. When we talk about remembering something, we think about, Oh, I remembered it for the test. I was able to write it down, and then I went out from the test and promptly forgot about it, if you're like me, right? All right, but that's not what remembrance in the Bible is, right? Paul used it this way. In Galatians 2 verse 10, 2 verse 10 remember the poor. And by that he meant remember the poor, and so later in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, they took a relief offering and took it to the church in Jerusalem that was poor. So then they thought about it and they actually did something actively. In Colossians 4, it says, Remember, Paul says, Remember my chains, remember my imprisonment. But I think the greatest example for action is to think about the thief on the cross, right? The thief on the cross. And said, Jesus, remember me to, when you come into your kingdom. Luke 23, 42. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that's not just a request. Jesus, would you think about me when you get to glory? It's a request that, that Jesus might, by sovereign grace, bring that man to glory, right? That this man might be with Jesus in the paradise of God. Je Jesus, remember me actively. Do something. And so in the Bible, to remember is to recollect and call to mind and keep in mind, and it is to go to the aid of actually to care for someone. It includes action. And, and depending on the context, here's some things it can mean. Again, I'm, I'll flesh out some of my study. It means to pray, right? Acts 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison by Herod the king, but earnest prayer for him was being made by, to God by the church. They remembered him and they prayed for him. It's to go and hold a hand, and pray with, and to give to their families food and fellowship. Um, in, uh, if, you, if you went to St. Andrews, Scotland, and you went to the ruins of the castle in St. Andrews, um, at one place on the castle grounds you would find what they call the bottle, B-O-T-T-L-E, the bottle dungeon. And the bottle dungeon was a dungeon. It was a place they put prisoners. 
And it was, think of a, of a gigantic Coke bottle. You know, it's small and, and it, it, you know, kind of has a shape, but it, it's larger at the bottom. Or maybe a flask, you know, you got the thing and then the flask goes down like that. Well, the bottle dungeon is about 24 feet deep and it's, the top is about 15 feet around and it, and it goes out like that. And so when people were put in prison, the bottle dungeon, they just put them down there. And you say, well, where did the meals come from and where did their water come from? Well, people had to take it to them. Really? Yeah. So to remember the prisoners back in Paul's day, you remember Paul was in prison in Rome and he was visited. You read about this at the end of the book of Acts. But people came and brought him food and fellowshiped with him and he was able to spread the word amongst the Jews in Rome. But, but when people in, these, in this day and age were in prison, they had nothing unless people came to them. So the writer to the Hebrews is saying, remember the prisoners. To what degree are we to remember the prisoners? It's very clear. It says, as though in prison with them, empathically. I think it's the golden rule, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you, to do what you would want somebody to do if you were in prison. Why? Well, when we were in the prison house of sin, Jesus came to us. And so they are bound together because they're united to Christ. I love this verse in in Romans 12 at verse 5. Most Americans, I think, and this is really a struggle for the American church because we grew up, we've all been raised, most of us anyway, in in a very... Uh, a part of the world, the West, broadly speaking. I don't mean the West of the United States. I mean the West, you know, versus the East. We're very individualistic. The air we breathe is individualistic. We, we are just, we are individualistic more than we can even see. And, and in, in Romans 12, verse 5, uh, the Apostle Paul says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And I contend that we don't know much about what it means to be individually members one of another. Uh, I think that I think some some Americans read that verse and they just don't know how to process it because their minds are shaped in such an individualistic fashion they can't imagine the common connection that they have being united to Christ. They're united to one another, but they have a common confession. They have a common connection to Christ and one another. They have a common hope of heaven and they have a common danger here in Hebrews of falling away. And so I think, I think if you, there are two views of the church, more than this, but certainly in this area, there are two views of the church out there. One view of the church is what I would call a kind of a Presbyterian and Reformed view. How did I get in the church? I was drafted. I was drafted into the church. I was sovereignly sought and brought to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because I was sovereignly sought and brought to Christ. Right. But there's another view of the church out there that, that, that I, not that I was, I was drafted into the church, but I volunteered into the church. And if you have the view that you're volunteered into the church as an individual without a common connection, then I think we're going to have very great difficulty seeing that we're individually members one of another, that, that we really ought to help our brothers and sisters in Christ that are in China and other parts of the world. 
We're just not going to feel connected to them. Because after all, I volunteered to be a part of this church, but all that bigger, the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ or the capital C, um, that's, not, that's, not, that's not resonating with many of us. There was a young man in our church in Alabama who was a student at Westminster Seminary in Dallas when Westminster Seminary had a seminary in Dallas. That's a long story, what's happened to that campus and that seminary. But he was invited by a man he knew who was Chinese to go to China one summer and go into some pretty remote regions of China um, and, and train Christian leaders. And um, so he went, and he was way back. I, I, I don't know exactly where he was, but so far that when the police caught him and brought him in, they'd never seen a white person. They'd never seen anybody that wasn't Asian, you know, looking. And so, yeah, so he was teaching, and it was just like you read in the books or in the movies or see in the movies, you know. The police showed up, and people are jumping out windows and doors, and, and they're, they're taken in and taken to the police station. They take up their laptops and send them to Beijing and deport them. And the, the Christians that came out of the building when the police came in and, and were apprehended and were beaten and, and, and that kind of stuff, they caught up with, with, with this young man um, in, in, in Beijing and, and they said, don't go home and tell what happened. And he looked at him like, don't go, what do you mean don't go home and tell people what happened? They said, don't go home and tell people what happened because if you do, other people won't come. And we want you to come back and we want others like you to come. And it just kind of broke my heart, you know? It just kind of broke my heart. And, you know, do we feel connected to people like that? Do we think, well, you know, we think, well, that's, they're over there, I'm over here. It doesn't have anything to do with me. But if we're, if we're sought and sovereignly brought into the one church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and if they're united to Christ like we're united to Christ, then we are connected to them. If A is connected to B and C is connected to B, then A and C are connected to one another, right? This is basic algebra. Except I'm applying it to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the second application is remember the prisoners as, and the standard as though in prison with them. And then it says, and remember those who are mistreated. Who are those who are mistreated? Well, these are those who are persecuted for the faith. It probably includes those who are in prison, but it's a larger group, right? These are people that are mistreated, but they haven't been, been incarcerated. And, and, and I would say that they're probably mistreated four ways, okay? I think they're probably mistreated physically and socially and economically and judicially. Let me explain what I mean by that. Physically, these are those who might have been beaten, and we've read about that in chapter 10, and you could also read about that in chapter 11. Uh, Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. This is 1136. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Wow. Yeah, mistreated physically. You've turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, which we won't do. You can read Paul talking about the, the imprisonments and the floggings 
and the number of times he got the 39 lashes and all that kind of thing. And today Christians are beaten and raped and burned out. Today, brothers and sisters in Christ, people with whom we will spend eternity if we know Jesus, physically mistreated. Remember those who are mistreated. Socially, they're mistreated. By that, I mean maybe forbidden to gather to worship like the people in China, in, in Presbyterian history, the Scottish Covenanters. They were told people that believe like you and I, that would worship like you and I, and they were told you can't worship that way. And so they would go out into the, to the heather and heat. They would go out and wor uh, uh, worship in, in the wilds of the highlands of Scotland. And, and because if they, were, if they were caught, they would be at best imprisoned. Socially outcast. Economically. I mean, Christians are persecuted by being taxed in ways that other groups are and requiring licenses and being boycotted and being looted. And we talked about confiscation of their property in Hebrews 10. And, and then judicially, in, in injustice in court. Oh, well, they are, they are Christians. Well, we can take advantage of them because they're a minority group in this country, you know. Uh, I've known, uh, I knew a, a mission, a guy had been a missionary in Pakistan, this is 40 years ago, and he said, we have to be very careful. We have to be very, very careful. These are those who are mistreated for their faith. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are people that you might sit down at the Lamb's wedding banquet and they'll be sitting across the table from you. Yeah. No surprise in all this, right? I mean, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus also said, Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted me. They will also persecute you. And of course, Jesus experienced the ultimate, right, religious persecution, right? He came into his own, and his own received him not. Not only did they not receive him, but they crucified him. They crucified him, a substitute sacrifice for sinners who would believe in him. Paul taught about this. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. He wrote to Timothy about it and said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He wrote to the Thessalonians about it. He said, Timothy came and exhorted them that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for these afflictions. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. So we should not be surprised at all when Christians are persecuted and mistreated. Though it is not right, it is normal. And we're warned about this ahead of time. When we are not persecuted for the faith, we should not think of that as normal. When we're not persecuted, we must not think of that as normal. I grew up in a time of almost no persecution, a time and place. 
And so persecution to me seems very abnormal. And I'm still trying to, to, to work it into my head all that the scriptures say about all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a lot different today than it was 60 years or so ago. And then he says that we're to remember the mistreated since you also are, quote, in the body. Now Calvin says in the body means in the body of Christ, and I certainly can't say that's wrong, and certainly it could be developed theologically. But, but I would prefer to call it being in the physical body, like Jesus was in the physical body, as it talks about it back in Hebrews 2, that, that you're subject to the same sort of treatment uh, because you're in a physical body, and it therefore could happen to you. So, let brotherly love continue. When you have traveling evangelists, take care of them. Show hospitality to them. Uh, you have entertained angels unaware sometime. And then remember the prisoners. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. I want to go back to an image I mentioned a few minutes ago. Someday we'll, I guess, sit down at the Lamb's Wedding Banquet that's mentioned in Revelation 19 and 20. And uh, we will um, sit down perhaps with people that were persecuted, perhaps martyred. And they may ask us, did you remember us? Did you remember us? What will you say to them? What would we wish that we could say? What should we do? Well, I don't know all we should do, but certainly we need to remember that we too were in the prison house of sin when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And when we were helpless and had no claim on God, He took the first step. He remembered us. He came to us. He sovereignly sought and brought us. That's why Jesus said, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And they said, when did we do that? And he said, well, in that you did that to the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. Let's pray. Lord our God, um, forgive us our forgetting of those that are in prison and persecuted and outcast because of the faith that we hold so dear. We talk about things being difficult in Oregon for believers, but Lord, not nearly so much as in some other places. Yes, real here, yes. But not like the Christians in China. Not like the Christians in certain parts of the Middle East. Forgive us that we forget and help us to remember in an active way that actually takes action and makes a difference. So that we come to the Lamb's wedding banquet we sit next to someone who died for the faith, we can honestly re reply that we tried to help our brothers and sisters that were in difficulty. 
Hear us because we ask through Christ. Amen.